Well, I'm going to invite you to take a copy of God's Word, whether in printed or digital form, and we're going to be opening it to the fifth chapter of the book of Romans today. Some time ago, I I finished a lengthy series in the Gospel of John. So instead of just entering into another book study, uh, what I've done is just take a few topics that I've been working on in my own personal devotion. We did a study on the fear of the Lord, just a couple of messages on that. And that was bore out of wanting to study that more myself. And then this topic here of suffering is another one that I have been meditating, memorizing, and working on that I just want to bring that before you today as well. I've been particularly interested in some of these phrases that don't seem realistic, like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Or Jesus in Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes where he says, Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Or the little phrase we're going to cover this morning, we rejoice in our sufferings. I think many of you are like me that you really want to obey the scriptures You want to honor the Lord by applying these. But what in the world does that stuff mean in rejoicing in sufferings? Well, that's what I want us to look at today, is we'll read the first five verses of Romans 5 together. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace into which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'm going to pray and invite you to join me. Father, there are many of these commands that we see that we are unable in our own strength to obey. And this one here just doesn't seem to to match. How is it that we can have joy, rejoice, glory in times in which we are being squeezed and pressed? And help us now to see these through spiritual eyes by the Holy Spirit that there would be a benefit that would come from this not only to to see these truths, 
but the, by his power, the Holy Spirit's power, enable us to, to live this out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure this morning that you're going to hear anything entirely new, but hopefully you hear some things that will be of encouragement and benefit to you. If you have an outline and your bulletin, we'll be working through a a variety of different passages. Um, But here is the main thesis statement of what I am attempting to say today, and I bear that out here in the first five verses of Romans 5, and it's this. Since our relationship with God has changed, our relationship with suffering has also changed. Let me say that again. Since our relationship with God has changed, our relationship with suffering has also changed. Now, I began in the fifth chapter of Romans, so let me just take a a moment here to catch you up if we were studying this and reading through this book. Chapters 1 and 2 and even into 3, Paul is writing this to Christians there in Rome. And what you have here is an extended gospel track of which he is laying out for us more comprehensive than any other book in the Bible of what the good news or the gospel is. And so he spends time in the first three chapters addressing this area of our depravity, that all of us are very sinful. Sinful through and through, and there isn't anything we can do about that sin. To summarize it, in Romans 3, verses 10 and 11, he says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And here's the problem. How is it that sinners can enter into a relationship with a holy God? In Romans 3, verse 21, it says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. We are unable to keep God's commands. We are unable to keep the law to be made right with God. So we're made right with God apart from the law. And then it says in verses 22 and 23, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Leading up to the chapter 5, Paul has been speaking to us about how we can be made right with God, and it is through faith on what Jesus has done for us. So when we read, therefore, in chapter 5, verse 1, this is what he's referring to. Our sin, how our sins can be forgiven through faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and through resurrection. But then in the first two verses of Romans 5, Paul is going to lay out for us five different benefits that have come through receiving this gift. Or five different ways of which our relationship with God has changed. So let's work through these five. The first, our relationship with God has changed because we are now 
justified. You see it there in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now, if that's a new word to you, don't be intimidated. It's just a word that the Bible uses, we use here in the church, to refer to one that has been declared not guilty. Or, to state it positively, to be declared righteous. This is a one-time event, not a process. I can remember a time where I was with another Christian, and the Christian asked this other person, tell me, when were you saved? And that person said, well, I'm not sure that we ever really know if we are saved. I think we just try to learn as much we can throughout this life, and at the end of that life, well, then we'll find out if we are truly saved or not. But what the Bible teaches is that there is a time where a person can be justified, declared righteous, declared not guilty. And you will notice here that that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that our the case that was presented against us has been thrown out. Rather, the case that was presented against us has been transferred onto Jesus. It says here in verse 1 that we've been justified by faith. How is it that we would describe this word faith? The great missionary John Patton was translating the scriptures on the island language of which he was serving. And he was, he was coming to this word faith and he was struggling with how would he translate it into the local language. And then one day a local that was on the other side of the island, made his way to his side, climbed up the stairs into his home, and put all of his weight in the chair. And he said, oh, does it feel so good to put all of my weight on this chair? And missionary Patton said, aha, that is the word for faith. It means to place all of one's trust, all of one's faith, in what Jesus has done for them. So our relationship with God has changed, number one, that we are now justified. Number two, that we now have peace with God. You see it there in verse one. We have peace with God. This is not to be confused with a peace of God, of which the Bible speaks about, but here we're speaking of a peace with God. That's not a state of mind, but a relationship. And this is that we are no longer contending with God. The battle is over. And this peace will not only last for today, tomorrow, and next week, but forevermore. We now have a change in our relationship and that we are peace with God. When Pastor Harry Ironside summarized it this way, he said, peace, as used in Romans 5.1, is not a state of mind or heart. It is a prevailing condition between two who were once alienated. Sin had disturbed the relations of creator and its creature. A breach has occurred that man could not mend, but peace has been made by the blood of Christ crossed. There is no longer a barrier. Peace with God is now the abiding state into which every believer enters 
The sin question is settled. So we not only are justified, we not only have peace with God, but number three, we also have access to God. Look at it says there in verse 2. Through him, that's through Jesus, we also have obtained access by faith. What does this word access mean? In one hand, it's a nautical term. You're out in Lake Michigan, and the storms are raging, and the, and the swells are towering, and you're looking to find some sort of safe harbor where you can access a barrier from the wind. That's what that means. But on a more personal note, what this means here is to be able to have availability to a king, to have access. Imagine you wanted to visit Washington, D.C., and you wanted to go to the White House to visit. You would have little to no chance of having a a visit with the president. At best, you might be able to visit the White House. And so you'd have to give at least 21 days in advance, no more than 90. And if you were approved, you would have to produce a photo ID, and there'd be a list of things you couldn't bring and a list of things you could bring. But even if you could get access to the White House, you'd never be able to visit the president. What this is saying is that our relationship is now changed with God, is that we now have access to Him. Not just for an afternoon and an interview, but for an ongoing access where we will take up residence with him. Now that has changed. Proverbs, or rather Hebrews 4 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's a fourth way in which our relationship with God has changed. We now have grace to stand on. You see it in verse 2. And to this grace in which we stand. We are able to be stable and stand on these changes in our relationship with God. A couple of days ago, I was with my son Joshua, and we were on our bikes, and as we were driving, we saw a home that was being built. And at this point, just the basement had been poured. And so we talked about how they would have these forms and cement would be poured into them. And and our basement wasn't much different than that. But then that basement would serve as a foundation of which everything else would be built on that. And what we're seeing here in the first few verses of Romans 5 is this new foundation that we have of being justified, of being at peace with God, of having access with God, and we must stand on this foundation. And then the fifth change in our relationship is it says here, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that is then, we have a hopeful future. Not only has our past and present been altered, but our future has as well. And despite how it looks today, our future is bright as we await Jesus' return. I can remember as a kid, one of the highlights of our fall is when the Sears wish book would arrive. This was a full-colored catalog that was about that thick. And it had clothes 
but it really had toys. And it had just piles and piles of toys that you would look through. And my mother would use that to order our presents. Now, sometimes she watches these messages, and so I'm going to disclose a little secret here that we knew about that she might not have known this. But there were times in that wish book where she would literally underline the model number of the, of the toy that she was going to purchase. And so in the weeks leading up to Christmas, we knew what we were going to get. There was a certainty in our future of what we were going to get. And when it arrived, and she wrapped it up and put it under the tree, in many cases, we knew what that was. That was a hope for us. Hope is not a wishful thinking. A hope is an absolute certainty in what is going to happen in the future. And I'm telling you, it was an absolute certainty that I was going to get that game or get that toy because I'd seen it in the book, right? And that's what it looks like for a Christian is they have absolute certainty in the future based on the book of God, the scriptures of what the future looks like, that God is going to work all these circumstances out for his good, that these are temporal But there will come a day, the true hope is in our eternal future when we will be in heaven. And when this indwelling sin will finally be removed. And the physical pains and the limitations of these wearing out bodies will be replaced with heavenly bodies. So that's changed for us. The main point I've been making at the first part of this message is our relationship with God has changed if you're a Christian. At one time we were guilty before God, now we are declared righteous. At one time we were enemies of God, but now we are at peace with God. At one time we were far from God, now we are brought near and have access to God. At one time we were unstable and shaken in fear, now we are confident as we stand on God's grace. At one time the future was dark and uncertain. But now we long for a future glory with our Savior. That's the foundation. Now here's the second point of this message. Since our relationship with God has changed, our relationship with suffering has also changed. Verse 3 now says, Not only that. Not only have you experienced these different changes in your relationship with God. It kind of sounds like one of those infomercials. Not only that, there's more. Listen to what he says here. But we rejoice in our sufferings. This word rejoice means to glory in, to take pride in something, to boast in the privilege or possession. And this word suffering means to compress squeeze, to be under pressure. The idea here is squeezing grapes to make juice, to make grape juice. And that's the word picture. How is it that we can rejoice in sufferings? This is a confusing statement. Is this saying that Christians should be happy 
when they are experiencing physical or emotional or relational pain. That's not at all what this is saying. Christians are not happy to experience pain, but they understand that God sometimes prescribes pain for a purpose. At one time we were upset when our comforts were disrupted, but now we see that God has a plan behind that pain and that suffering. Let me give you a few statements here. Probably nothing new to you. Number one, God has a reason for your suffering. Someone has said this, people are like tea bags. You never really know how strong they are until they're put in hot water. And isn't that true? You can think that life is just fine and you can think that you're just an okay person and then heat comes into your life and then you see what comes bleeding out of you. And suddenly you realize you're not as sanctified as you thought you were. And there's a lot of sin there that you didn't know about and you never would have known about unless God had prescribed some suffering, some pain in your life. Another thing is that our response to suffering can prove that our faith in Jesus is real. Let me just read to you a couple of verses. One of my favorite parables is the parable of the sower. And in that parable of the sower, the farmer goes out and he sows some seeds and it it lands on multiple different soils. And those soils represent the man or the woman's heart. Will they receive the word of God? One of those soils is rocky ground. Listen to what it says in Matthew 13, 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see, suffering, problems that come in our life, can serve as a proving ground that we really are in the faith. Am I the only one here that at one time or multiple times in his life has wondered, am I really a Christian? Or am I one of those false converts? Am I one of those hypocrites? One of the ways that we can really find out if we are truly in the faith is how we respond in suffering. Because according to the soil, of the, the rocky soil here, there are some people that immediately say they believe, but then trouble happens and they fall away. Why? Because they were never really in the faith. And here's the wonderful thing about If suffering proves that you are really a child of God, then indeed all the promises are truly yours for the child of God. So you can see that there's not everything in suffering is bad. I'll give you a third blessing that comes from suffering, and that is suffering exposes our weaknesses. We might think that we are all high and mighty, And then all we need to do is just hold things together. And we can quote scripture, but then the flood of affliction happens. And we realize we are not able to hold things together. 
our lives are falling apart. And it is then when we learn what God told to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There are times in our life as we're going through suffering, the only way that we are sustained day by day is by the grace of God. And that's not a bad way to live. But we would never be able to live like that unless there were pain in our life. I'll give you a fourth blessing that comes, and that is suffering is an opportunity to grow in Christian maturity. I think that many of us are like the Caribbean pine trees. These pine trees can withstand fierce hurricanes, long periods of drought, and even fire. But you take these Caribbean pine trees and you put them in a safe setting like cultivation, a well-kept yard, and plenty of water and fertilizer. You know what happens? They often die. Many of us need these afflictions. We need this pain in order to grow. You see, trials work for us, not against us. Remember what James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that you can mature because of these trials. One pastor, Guzak, said this, God knows how much tribulation we can take, and he carefully measures the tribulations that we face. Let me give you another one here as we look here at, at Proverbs 5. It says not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, but now there's this chain. There's a chain that the suffering produces endurance. How many of you today were interrupted by the marathon? All right. Speaking of endurance, this suffering produces endurance. The marathon runner needs stress. They need pain. They need discomfort to produce this endurance. A young man asked an old wise Christian pastor, He said, please, would you please pray for me that my endurance would be increased? And the wise pastor got on his knees right there and began to pray, oh God, would you bring suffering into this young man's life? Would you allow tribulations and hardships? And the young man said, oh, would you stop? Stop praying for that. He said, you don't understand, young man, if you want endurance. This is the pathway. It's through suffering. There's no other way for that. Now, endurance is not stationary. It's not just holding steady and waiting for the storm to blow over. Rather, endurance is continuing to move forward, even though it may be small in increments, in the face of this opposition. One said it this way, endurance involves doing what is right and never giving in to the temptation or trial. It is a conquering patience 
or a conquering endurance. This Greek word is the ability to deal triumphantly with anything that life can do to us. It accepts the blows of life, but in accepting them, transforms them into stepping stones to new achievement. The snail, in one hour, can go 40 feet. That's a slow pace. But the snails were in the ark. And it might be that we're going through a time right now and that our progress is slow, but at least there is progress. So there's suffering that produces endurance, and there is endurance that produces character. Do you see it in verse 4? And endurance produces character. I want character in my life. Okay, in order to get character, there's a chain of events that need to take place. There's suffering over here. There's endurance over here that will lead to character over here. This word character is the word that is used to describe precious metals being heated up and having the impurities wiped away to achieve this purity. Now, our family is homeschooled, but I remember when I was in school, we had a teacher that loved to offer pop quizzes. I don't know that my wife offers pop quizzes to our kids, and I don't know how many pop quizzes there still are today. But at the very beginning of our class, at the beginning of the year, he said, every once in a while, we're going to offer some pop quizzes, and we're going to find out what you know and what you don't know. And in time over the school year, all he had to say was, would you please take out a blank sheet of paper? And there were groans that would go across that classroom. In some cases, I think there were two different types of people in that classroom. There were some people that were like, great, I get to prove what I know. And there were others that I was in that were like, great, I get to prove what I don't know. This word character is speaking about a test that God will at times offer in a, in a surprise manner, like a pop quiz. And it provides an opportunity for us to prove that we are in the faith. To prove to say, I know this stuff from Sunday school and from Sunday, but now I'm applying it in my life. And I imagine for those who looked forward to pop quizzes, that it was wonderful to prove how much you knew. In the same way that when we are walking with the Lord, there is an opportunity for us to say, this has happened to me now. I never anticipated it. But by the grace of God, I'm going to pass this test. And I'm going to trust Him through this. It's remarkable what we see in the New Testament. There are these apostles in the early part of the book of Acts. When they left the presence of the council... They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced that they were beaten because they were followers of Jesus. In Proverbs 17, verse 3, it says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. James wrote in 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life, 
which God has promised to those who love him. And Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been granted by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to be a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a test, and these tests provide an opportunity for us to prove that we truly are in the faith. There's another change that we have then with suffering, and that it says there, character produces hope. In verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. Not only is there a confidence that we can have that God is going to work out our present sufferings, but there is a confidence that we can have in the future that we look forward to. Suffering can bear out of our faith. I'm not a hypocrite or a false convert. I truly am in the faith. And those eternal blessings are truly reserved for me. And God will ultimately deliver me from these trials. But did you notice this in verses 1, 2, 3, or actually throughout all this passage, that Paul is not writing to an individual person, but he is writing to a church family. Let me read the first three verses again, and let me emphasize the word we and our. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace into which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Know that suffering produces endurance. People in our church are suffering. You might be experiencing suffering. But we need to know one another well enough so we know how to pray and encourage them. The good news here is that we do not have to suffer alone, but others will come alongside and bear our burdens for us. There is this great promise there that this character is producing in us hope, a hope for the future. Perhaps this could be best illustrated by a a father that's getting ready to take his son on a camping trip. And it's the night before, and the pickup truck is all loaded up. The camping gear is there, the sleeping bags, the tents. The cooler is even there. The pickup truck is already hooked up to a boat. The fishing gear is already there. The, The plan is to leave first thing in the morning. And as the dad goes into his son's bedroom to say goodnight to him and say, Hey, get a good night's sleep because we got a big day. The little boy wraps his arm around his dad's neck and squeezes tightly and says, Dad, thank you for tomorrow. I'm looking forward to tomorrow because, Dad, you always keep your promises and you're going to see me through and we are going to have a great time together. So we're seeing how our lives change, not only with God, but they change as we look at sufferings. And then I'll just give you this last one. All of this is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, the Holy Spirit enables us to see what God is doing in our trials. And perhaps that's the main benefit of the message today, is to know there's a reason. I don't exactly know what it is, but God has you on this path of suffering that leads to endurance, that leads to character, that leads to a hope that will be fulfilled, provided you are a Christian. And you'll notice that this this love is not just trickled into your hearts in verse 5, but it is poured into your hearts. And one day the pain, the suffering that you're experiencing right now will give way to joy. I remember the day that our firstborn son was born there in Flint, Michigan. I think of my wife, we're standing before you, she'd say, it was an excruciatingly painful day. I heard the screams. I saw the pain in her eyes. I was in pain as I watched her, not near the, to the level that she was in. But as soon as that boy was born, that pain was exchanged with a joy. And I think she would have said, it was worth it. It was worth it. Pain will one day give way to joy. So here's some questions for you to conclude. How are we doing today when things are going bad for us? You know, one of the benefits that pain can happen is that it will reveal sin in our life. It will reveal roots of sin in our life. And we might say, why in the world did I respond the way I responded there? Well, it's because there's some sin there that hasn't been dealt with. I can think of roots in my own life that that pain has allowed me to see. One is just a, a fear of man, what people think of me. Another is a fear of pain. And I like comfort, and I don't want to go through hard things. I think another one has been um, difficulty receiving love from God. And it's when you learn about these roots, learn about these areas of pain, now that you know about them, well, then you can address them with help from others, with, from the Scriptures and, and for prayer, so we can actually have the trials of our life not be a problem, but actually serve us to draw closer to Jesus. Here's another question. Are we resting on the change God has brought to our lives? The first two verses of Romans 5 spoke about how our lives have been dramatically changed. Are we feeding our minds and we're forcing our lives that we have now sanctified, that we now have peace with God, that we now have access to God, that we are now standing on His grace, and that we have a bright future. Thirdly, do we see sufferings as an opportunity to confirm our faith, depend on God's strength, and mature in Christ? And then finally, do people know how we are suffering? Are there people... Are you holding this by yourself? Or are you opening up and allowing people to pray with you, to pray for you? I think as our music team comes at this time, 
I'd like us just to contemplate this message. Here's the first appeal. Romans 5, 1-5 is really for those who have entered into this relationship with Jesus. And everything that's said about this change of life are those for those who have repented and turned from their sins. And, and is that you? Have you done that? If you have, there's some magnificent news there because your relationship with God has changed. So my appeal to you first is to trust Christ. Or you're still in your sins. Flee sin. Flee the judgment of that sin. Go to Jesus. Place your trust in him. Do that now. Do that today. And then my second appeal is for those who are suffering with us. It could be something massive. could be something that's just small. Just an irritation. But you say, I've, I've not been using that the way that, God, you've designed that for me, for good. So I just want to commit that to you. Would you bow with me? And let's pray together. You can maybe play something as we're doing this. Father, we want to say thank you that our lives have been changed. We have been justified. We have peace with you. We have now access. We can stand on this. We have a hope. And because our relationship with you has changed, then our relationship with troubles have changed as well. And we see you sovereign over them. And you are working them for our good. They are being used to prove that we truly are in the faith. They are being used to break us, to humble us, to reveal that by by your strength, it's made perfect in our weakness. Not only this, there's some tests, some pop quizzes that are taking place in our lives of things that we never would have anticipated. But there are people here that are responding well to those pop quizzes and they're, they're saying yes by your grace I'm trusting you I don't know why all this is going on but I'm going to trust you through this and then like like me there are times that we don't pass that what wonderful promise there is that we can ask for forgiveness receive that forgiveness and make amends with others if we need to and then and then get ready for the next test. Lord, I pray for your grace to be just made very clear during this time. Thank you, thank you that it's available. Thank you for the love that's been poured into our hearts. And we not only receive that love, but share that love with others. And we can rejoice in knowing that in the midst of all this trouble, that you're working good through it for our best. If we see it, if we don't see it, we can trust you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what I'd like you to do. Let's stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation, and the altar here is open.
If you would like to come and just like to pray here, you can. If you want to bring someone with you, you can. And these are people that are saying, I need God's grace. I need God's help in my life. And if that's the case, that should be everyone here in our church, right? Let us, let's just respond how God wants us to. Let's sing.